This is The Silver Chair from the Chronicles of Narnia, written by C.S. Lewis and read by Janet Rhodes for her daughters, Neve, Tova, Huia and Alexia. Chapter 10. Travels Without the Sun. Who's there? shouted the three travellers. I am the warden of the marches of Underland, and with me stand a hundred earthmen-in-arms, came the reply. Tell me quickly who you are, and what is your errand in the deep realm? We fell down by accident, said Paddleglum, truthfully enough. Many fall down, and few return to the sunlit lands, said the voice. Make ready now to come with me to the queen of the deep realm. What does she want with us? asked Scrub cautiously. I do not know, said the, uh, said the voice. Her will is not to be questioned, but obeyed. While he said these words, there was a noise like a soft explosion, and immediately a cold grey light with a little blue in it flooded the cavern. All hope that the speaker had been idly boasting when he spoke of his hundred armed followers died at once. Jill found herself blinking and staring at a dense crowd. They were of all sizes, from little gnomes barely a foot high to stately figures taller than men. All carried three-pronged spears in their hands, and all were dreadfully pale, and all stood as still as statues. Apart from that, they were very different. Some had tails, and others not. Some wore great beards, and others had very round, smooth faces, big as pumpkins. There were long, pointed noses, and long, soft noses, like small trunks, and great blobby noses. Several had single horns in the middle of their foreheads. But in one respect they were all alike. Every face in the whole hundred was as sad as a face could be. They were so sad that after the first glance, Jill almost forgot to be afraid of them. She felt she would like to cheer them up. Well, said Puddleglum, rubbing his hands, this is just what I needed. If these chaps don't teach me to take a serious view of life, I don't know what will. Look at that fellow with the walrus moustache, or that one with a... Get up, said the leader of the earthmen. There was nothing else to be done. The three travellers scrambled to their feet and joined hands. One wanted to touch, wanted the touch of a friend's hand at a moment like that. And the earthmen came all round them, patting on large, soft feet, on which some had ten toes, some twelve, and others none. March, said the warden, and march they did. The cold light came from a large ball at the top of a long pole, and the tallest of the gnomes carried this at the head of the procession. By its cheerless rays they could see that they were in a natural cavern. The walls and roof were knobbled, twisted and gashed into a thousand fantastic shapes, and the stony floor sloped downwards as they proceeded. It was worse for Jill than for the others, because she hated dark underground places. A cavern is like a big cave, a big underground room. And when, as they went on, the cave got lower and narrower, and when, at last, the light-bearer stood aside, and the gnomes, one by one, stooped down, all except the very smallest ones, and stepped into a little dark crack and disappeared, she felt she couldn't bear it any longer. "'I can't go in there! I can't! I can't!' she panted. The earthmen said nothing, but they all lowered their spears and pointed them at her. "'Steady, Pole,' said Puddleglum. "'These big fellows wouldn't be crawling in there if it didn't get wider later on. "'And there's one thing about this un underground work. We shan't get any rain.' Oh, you don't understand. I can't, wailed Jill. Think how I felt on that cliff pole, said Scrub. You go first, Puddleglum, and I'll come after her. 
that's right, said the Marshwiggle, getting down on his hands and knees. You keep a grip of my heels, Pole, and Scrub will hold on to yours. Then we'll all be comfortable. Comfortable, said Jill. But she got down and they crawled in on their elbows. It was a nasty place. You had to go flat on your face for what seemed like half an hour, though it may really have only been five minutes. It was hot. Jill felt she was being smothered. But at last a dim light showed ahead. The tunnel grew wider and higher and they came out hot, dirty and shaken into a cave so large that it scarcely seemed like a cave at all. It was full of a dim, drowsy radiance, so that here they had no need of the earthman's strange lantern. The floor was soft with some kind of moss, and out of this grew many strange shapes, branched and tall like trees, but flabby like mushrooms. They stood too far apart to make a forest. It was walls and pillars that suggested great places or temples, and wherever the light fell, endless crowds, hundreds of earthmen jostling one another as they padded softly about their business in narrow streets, broad squares or up flights of steps. Their continued movement made a sort of soft murmuring noise as the ship drew nearer and nearer, but there was not a song or a bell or a rattle of a wheel anywhere. The city was as quiet. I, Mr. Page. Hang on, sorry. That's no good for a recording. Whoopsie, whoopsie. So they stood too far apart to make a forest. This is about the trees, like mushrooms. They stood too far apart like, to make a forest. It was more like a park. The light, a greenish-grey, seemed to come from both them and from the moss, and it was not strong enough to reach the roof of the cave, which must have been a long way overhead. Across the mild, soft, sleepy place, they were now made to march. It was very sad, but with very quiet sort of sadness, uh, with, with soft, like soft music. Here they passed dozens of strange animals lying on the turf, either dead or asleep. Jill could not tell which. These were mostly of a sort of dragonish or bat-like sort. Puddleglum did not know what any of them were. Do they grow here? Scrub asked the warden. He seemed very surprised at being spoken to, but replied, No, they are all beasts that have found their way down by chasms and caves, out of overland into deep realm. Many come down and few return to sunlit lands. It is said that they will all wake at the end of the world. His mouth shut like a box when he had said this, and in the great silence of that cave the children felt that they would not dare to speak again. The bare feet of the gnomes padding on the deep moss made no sound. There was no wind, there were no birds, there was no sound of water. There was no sound of breathing from the strange beasts. When they had walked for several miles they came to a wall of rock, and in it a low archway leading into another cavern. It was not, however, so bad as the last entrance, and Jill could go through it without bending her head. It brought them into a smaller cave, long and narrow, about the shape and size of a cathedral, and here, filling almost the whole length of it, lay an enormous man, fast asleep. He was far bigger than any of the giants, and his face was not like a giant's, but noble and beautiful. His breast rose and fell gently under the snowy beard which covered him to the waist. A pure silver light no one saw from where it came rested upon him. Who's that? asked Puddleglum, and it was so long since anyone had spoken that Jill wondered how he had the nerve. That is old Father Time, who was once a king in Overland, said the warden, and he has now sunk into the deep realm and lies dreaming of all things that are done in the upper world. Many sink down, and few return to the sunlit lands. They say he will wake at the end of the world.
And out of that cave they passed into another, and then into another, and another, and so on, till Jill lost count. But always they were going downhill, and each cave was lower than the last, till the very thought of the weight and depth of earth above you was suffocating. At last they came to a place where the warden commanded his cheerless lantern to be lit again. Then they passed into a cave so wide and dark that they could see nothing of it except that right in front of them was a strip of pale sand running down into still water, and and there, beside a little jetty, lay a ship without mast or sail, but with many oars. They were made to go on board her, and led forward to the bows, where there was a clear space in the front of rows, benches, and a seat running round the inside of the bulwarks. One thing I'd like to know, said Puddleglum, is whether anyone from our world, from up atop, I mean, has ever done this trip before. Many have taken ship at the pale beaches, replied the warden, and... Yes, I know, interrupted Puddleglum, and few return to the sunlit lands. You needn't say it again. You are a chap of one idea, aren't you? The children huddled close together on each side of Puddleglum. They had thought him a wet blanket while they were still above ground, but down here he seemed the only comforting thing they had. Then the pale lantern was hung amidships, and earthmen sat to the oars, and the ship began to move. The lantern cast its light only a very short way. Looking ahead, they could see nothing but smooth, dark water fading into absolute blackness. Whatever will become of us, said Jill despairingly. Now, don't you let your spirits get down, Paul, said the Marsh Wiggle. There's one thing you've got to remember. We are back on the right lines. We were told to go under the ruined city, and we are under it. We're following the instructions again. Presently, they were given food. Flat, flabby cakes of some sort which had hardly any taste. After that, they gradually fell asleep. But when they woke, everything was just the same. The gnomes still rowing, the ship still gliding on, the still dead blackness ahead. How often they woke and slept and ate and slept again, none of them could ever remember. And the worst thing about it was that you began to feel as if you had always lived on that ship in that darkness, and to wonder whether sun and blue skies and wind and bird had been only a dream. They had almost given up hoping or being afraid about anything, when at last they saw lights ahead, dreary lights, like that of their own lantern. Then, quite suddenly, one of these lights came close, and they saw that they were passing another ship. After that, they met several ships. Then, staring till their eyes hurt, they saw that some of the lights ahead were shining on what looked like wharves, walls, towers and moving crowds. But still there was hardly any noise. By Jove, said Scrubber City, and soon they all saw he was right. But it was a queer city. The lights were so few and far apart that they would hardly have done for scattered cottages in our world. But the little bits of the place where you could see by the lights were little glimpses of a great seaport. You could make out in one place a whole crowd of ships loading or unloading, and another bales of stuff and warehouses in a third. Yes, when we get to it, Neve, but you need to lie down quietly, Neve. Please lie down quietly. And in a third, walls and pillars that suggested great palaces or temples, and always wherever the light fell, endless crowds, hundreds of earthmen jostling one another as they padded softly about their business in narrow streets, broad squares or up great flights of steps. Their continued movement made a sort of soft murmuring noise as the ship drew nearer and nearer. 
but there was not a song or a shout or a bell or the rattle of a wheel anywhere. The city was as quiet and nearly as dark as the inside of an anthill. At last, their ship was brought alongside a quay and made fast. The three travellers were taken ashore and marched up into the city. Crowds of earthmen, no two alike, rubbed shoulders with them in the crowded streets, and the sad light fell on many sad and grotesque faces. But no one showed any interest in the strangers. Every gnome seemed to be as busy as it was sad, though Jill never found out what they were so busy about. But the endless moving, shoving, hurrying, and the soft pad-pad-pad went on. At last they came to what appeared to be a great castle, though few of the windows in it were lighted. Here they were taken in and made to cross a courtyard, and to climb many staircases. This brought them in the end to a great, murkily lit room. But in one corner of it, oh joy, there was an archway filled with quite a different sort of light, the honest, yellowish, warm light of such a lamp that humans use. What showed by this light inside the archway was the foot of a staircase which wound upwards between walls of stone. The light seemed to come from the top. Two earthmen stood, one on each side of the arch, like sentries or footmen. The warden went up to these two and said, as if it were a password, Many sink down to the underworld, and few return to the sunlit lands, they answered, as if it were a countersign. Then all three put their heads together and talked. At last, one of the two gnomes-in-waiting said, I tell you, the Queen's grace is gone from hence on her great affair. We had best keep these top-dwellers in straight prison until her homecoming. Few return to the sunlit lands. At that moment, the conversation was interrupted by what seemed to Jill the most delightful noise in the world. It came from above, from the top of the staircase, and it was a clear, ringing, perfectly human voice, the voice of a young man. What coil are you keeping down there? Mulu Gutherum, it shouted. Overworlders, ha, huh? bring them to me, and that presently. Please it your highness to remember, began Mulu Gutherum. But the voice cut him short. It pleases my highness principally to be obeyed, old mutterer. Bring them up, it called. Mulugutherum shook his head, motioned to the tra- travellers to follow him, and began going up the staircase. At every step the light increased. There were rich tapestries hanging on the walls. The lamplight shone golden through thin curtains in the, at the staircase head. The earthmen parted the curtains and stood aside. The three passed in. They were in a beautiful room, richly tapestried, with a bright fire on the clean hearth, and red wine and cut glass sparkling on the table. A young man with fair hair rose to meet them. He was handsome and looked both bold and kind, though there was something about his face that didn't seem quite right. He was dressed in black and altogether looked a little bit like Hamlet. "'Welcome, overworlders,' he cried. "'But stay a moment, I cry you mercy. "'I have seen you two fair children, and this your strange governor before. "'Was it not you three that met me by the bridge on the borders of Ettonsmoor "'when I rode there by my lady's side?' "'Oh, were you the black knight who never spoke?' exclaimed Jill. "'And was that lady the queen of the underland?' asked Puddleglum, in no very friendly voice. "'And Scrub, who was thinking the same, burst out, "'Because if it was, I think she was jolly mean to send us off to a castle of giants who intended to eat us. "'What harm have we ever done her, I should like to know?' "'How?' said the black knight with a frown. "'If you were not so young a warrior boy, you and I must have fought to the death on this quarrel. "'I can hear no words against my lady's honour. "'But of this you may be assured, that whatever she said to you, she said of a good intent. 
You do not know her. She is a nosegay of all virtues as truth, mercy, constant mercy, constancy, gentleness, courage, and the rest. I say what I know. Her kindness to me alone, who can in no way reward her, would make an admirable history. But you shall know and love her hereafter. Meanwhile, what is your errand in the deep lands? And before Puddleglum could stop her, Jill blurted out, Please, we are trying to find Prince Rillian of Narnia. And then she realised what a frightful risk she had taken. These people might be enemies. But the knight showed no interest. Rillian? Narnia, he said carelessly. Narnia? What land is that? I have never heard the name. It must be a thousand leagues from these parts of the overworld that I know. But it was a strange fantasy that brought you seeking this, how do you call him, Billion, Trillion, in my lady's realm. Indeed, to my certain knowledge, there is no such man here. He laughed very loudly at this, and Jill thought to herself, I wonder, is that what's wrong with his face? Is he a bit silly? We had been told to look for a message on the stones of the city ruinous, said Scrub, and we saw the words under me. The knight laughed even more heartily than before. You were the more deceived, he said. Those words were meant nothing to your purpose. Had you but asked my lady, she could have given you better counsel, for those words are all that are left is left of a longer script, which in ancient times, as she well remembers, expressed this verse. Though under earth and throneless I now be, yet while I lived all earth was under me. From which it is plain that some great king of the ancient giants who lies buried there caused this boast to be cut into the stone over his sepulchre through the breaking up of some stones and the carrying away of others for new buildings and the filling up of the cuts cuts with rubble has left two words that can still be read. Is it not the merriest jest in the world that you should have thought that they were written to you? This was like cold water down the back to Scrub and Jill, for it seemed to them very likely that the words had nothing to do with their quest at all, and that they had been taken in by a mere accident. Don't you mind him, said Puddleglum. There are no accidents. Our guide is Aslan, and he was there when the giant king caused those letters to be cut, and he already knew all things would come that would come of them, including this. This guide of yours must be a long liver, friend, said the knight with another of his laughs. Jill began to find them a little irritating. And it seems to me, sir, answered Puddleglum, that this lady of yours must be a long liver too if she remembers the verse, as it was when they first cut it. Very shrewd, frog-face, said the knight, clapping Puddleglum on the shoulder and laughing again, and you have hit the truth. She is of divine race and knows neither age nor death. I am the more thankful to her for all her infinite bounty to such a poor mortal wretch as I, for you must know, sirs, that I am a man under most strange afflictions, and none but the Queen's grace would have had patience with me. Patience, said I, but it goes far beyond that. She has promised me a great kingdom in Overland, and when I am king, her own most gracious hand in marriage. But the tale is too long for you to hear fasting and standing. Hi there, some of you. Bring wine and updwellers food for my guests. Please, you, be seated, gentlemen. Little maiden, sit in this chair. You shall hear it all.